What's going on guys? It's your boy Scrubby here back again with another video. Hope you guys are having a great day. I know I am and welcome back to episode 8 of Ryan's Rants, the podcast where we talk about things and then post it on the internet. That's right, very creative innovators here at the Ryan Rants Corporation, officed mainly with our headquarters in London in a 60,000 square foot penthouse. Uh, jokes aside, I'm just sitting in a room by myself right now, but I figured I would make another episode of this podcast because I didn't for a week, more like a month, I'll be honest, and everyone got upset with me, so we're back at it, all right? But we've got some crazy stories, so uh, press the like button if you're hyped, and without further ado, let's go. So we've got to talk about YouTube a little bit, not because, you know, for once the entire platform is in flames. I'm not saying it's great, but that's not what we're talking about it for. It looks like, ladies and gentlemen, there's a new king in town. Mr. Beast has uh, officially passed PewDiePie as YouTube's most subscribed content creator. I think everyone knew that this was coming for a while, like if you just pulled up their charts, looked at their growth, did a little bit of uh, predictive analysis, you could tell that he was inevitably going to pass PewDiePie at some point. And I don't want anyone to think that this is a knock on PewDiePie. The fact that he was the biggest YouTuber in the world for like, what, approaching multiple decades is insane? And think about what it took to pass him. Yes, Mr. Beast is the biggest YouTuber of all time now, but the guy is making, like, movie-level production videos. It's pretty hard to compete with. You look at the fact that PewDiePie, for the most part, is still doing, like, Minecraft and reaction videos. The fact he was ever as big as he was is impressive. Like, it's a testament to how good he is at YouTube. And on the other hand, I mean, obviously YouTube was going to become Mr. Beast's, like, little domain. The dude makes content on a level that nobody's even really close to, with like consistency no one's close to. I mean, who else is gonna roll all the profit from their YouTube channel back into just making videos? I feel like PewDiePie is always gonna be on the Mount Rushmore of YouTube. Like, he's just the first guy to hit 100 million subscribers, he was the biggest YouTuber for a long time, and Mr. Beast is definitely on that too. And uh, if anyone's going to have to take over the mantle of biggest YouTuber, I'm just really glad it's Mr. Beast and not T-Series. Mr. Beast becomes YouTube's most subscribed individual. On November 14th, 2022, Mr. Beast blew past PewDiePie's subscriber count by several thousand subs at the time of writing, with a total of 111,851,893 subs on his main channel. This accomplishment means Mr. Beast is the most subscribed individual content creator on the Google-owned platform. Alright, I know not every sub on a YouTube channel is active. Like, subscribers is a, a very uh, misleading number if you think that, like, that many people are going to watch every video. Not in an insult to anyone. That's just the reality of YouTubing is that, like, everyone who subscribes not going to watch every video. But if you think about how many people 111 million is, like, if this was just a country, hypothetically, Mr. Beast's next video is, What's up, guys? I made my own country, and every subscriber is a citizen. I went ahead and renounced your citizenship with your current country. You agreed to the terms and conditions, and now we're Mr. Beast Island, baby. Then I think it would still be, like, one of the biggest countries in the world. Yeah, uh, Mr. Beast Country would be bigger than Egypt, which has 107 million people, making it the 14th largest country on the planet. And that's just the people that are subscribed to watch this dude play Squid Game. That's insane. It's weird watching YouTube progress. Like, when I first started watching it, when I first got into it, you know, 100,000 subscribers was, like, this insane, unfathomable number. And that's still an absolute crap ton of people. I'm not saying it's small. 
But the idea of someone having an 111 million subscriber channel in like 2014 would have gotten you laughed out of the room because people thought that like 50 million subscribers was completely unobtainable. It's weird how much the YouTube space has grown. But yeah, you know, if anyone deserves to be like top dog, it's Mr. Beast, far and away. Who else is doing the work that like anyone else is doing into their video? Being that PewDiePie is technically retired from being a YouTuber, he was excited for Mr. Beast to overtake his crown as the king of the platform, urging him to keep pushing forward to this day. Come on, I've been retired for like two years now, I can't wait for it to be over. That's alright, and he definitely deserves it, and I hope he likes it. Neither of the iconic content creators has commented on the recent accomplishment. We will be sure to update you when they inevitably do. It'd be sick if I could read. Yeah, I don't know. I saw some people being like, whoa, PewDiePie's probably going to be pissed. I, I don't know why he would be, dude. Like, he already was the biggest YouTuber forever. He was the first guy to 100 million subscribers. He's probably rolling around in just a bed of money the size of Jupiter. Like, we probably can't even fathom the amount of wealth this dude has. He's retired, married, living in Japan. Do you think he really cares if he's not technically number one anymore? Nah, dude, dude kind of won the game. Like, as far as uh, the monetary aspects concerned, if you're retired at 30 because you made YouTube videos, like, I don't know, I don't feel like you're going to be very upset when someone else passes you in subscribers anymore. At least I hope not. Could you imagine if this really got to him? Like, it's the first time PewDiePie ever just really, really gets super angry, pissed off at somebody else. Obviously, there's been drama with PewDiePie, but usually that's been like making a mistake and apologizing for it. Imagine he makes a video trying to fight Mr. Beast. Oh, we're, we're going to the boxing match, man. It's going down for real. Either way, congrats to uh, both YouTubers, both, both successful dudes. Congrats to Mr. Beast, though. Nuts to have a YouTube channel the size of like a large country. <laughs> Alright, so uh, I think we all know that court is a pretty serious thing. For the most part, you want a lawyer that's going to take your case very seriously. Someone that's like going to, I don't know, whether you're suing because of an injury, suing because of wrongful unemployment, you're, you're facing a charge. You just don't want your lawyer to be goofing off, but <laughs> this next story is just so bizarre. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. You just gotta listen. Prosecutor defeats Chewbacca defense in an actual federal court case. So the Chewbacca defense is like this meme from South Park way back in the day, and I guess someone actually used it in a federal courtroom, so somebody got to just like beat the crap out of it because duh. Could you imagine being the guy who's like being represented by the lawyer that gets up and starts trying to talk about Chewbacca in the middle of a federal courtroom? Do you just look back at your family and go like, I'm going away for a long time? In a case of real life, not quite imitating art, a prosecutor who compared a defense attorney's closing statements to the Chewbacca defense was able to win at trial. Although the prosecutor made an improper remark by invoking the defense from South Park, a federal ap appellate court ruled last week that he otherwise did not engage in prosecutorial misconduct. This case also appears to be the first time in a federal court decision has alluded to the Chewbacca defense. Now synonymous with making absurd non-sequiturs, the Chewbacca defense dates back to the 1998 episode of South Park, Chef Aid, where a parody of legendary lawyer Johnny Cochran defends his clients by talking about how Chewbacca, an 8-foot-tall Wookiee that lives on the planet Endor, even though he does not, 
And he continues to admit that what he's saying doesn't make sense, but he's still able to win over the jury twice. Alright, I'm at least glad it wasn't like a literal Chewbacca defense, you know? It was uh, basically a non-sequitur argument. Alright, a non-sequitur argument is a heck of a lot better than someone getting up in front of a federal courthouse where someone's facing felony charges and being like, This is Chewbacca, an 8 foot tall Wookiee. I don't know, it seems like the play is to get up in front of the jury, start talking about something that makes no sense, and then be like, because this doesn't make sense, none of this makes sense. And even if that's not really how it works, like if the two things can coexist and one can make no sense and the other can still make sense, the goal is to confuse the jury into being like, yeah, you're right, none of this does make any sense. Because sometimes in the court of law, it's not about being 100% obviously not guilty. It's about reasonable doubt. You know, that's the entire judicial system. Guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So if you can establish reasonable doubt by making things not make any sense, I'm doing air quotes, then there is a possibility that, like, you might get away with what you're being charged of. And especially in situations where your client maybe has, like, red paint all over their hands, it's, it's just very evident that what they're being accused of probably happened. Sometimes it's probably, like, your only argument, you know? If they have videotape of the guy walking into the store and robbing it without a mask on, no gloves, 15 fingerprints, 18 witnesses, and he has no alibi, yeah, you just kind of got to start using stupid arguments that might possibly work, because what are you going to do? Try to convince them that it's not the guy in the video? But outside of South Park, the defense is not quite as successful. Unlike Chewbacca, the case that led to last week's ruling didn't begin on the planet Kashyyyk, but in Jacksonville, Florida, where this man, who owned and operated a tax preparer business, was indicted on federal tax fraud charges. So, they were in a federal court case for felony tax fraud charges, and a guy got up and said, Have you guys ever seen South Park? There's this one dude who does this thing called the Chewbacca defense, and now it's just permanently on the record. I'm not sure what the rules are for transcripts in a federal courthouse, but if they're, like, stored somewhere for historical preservation, it's gonna be hilarious in 200 years when all the historians are going back over things and they don't really know what's what from where, and they get super hung up on this Chewbacca defense. They're like, ugh, what, what is this Chewbacca defense? So they start investigating Chewbacca. They see Chewbacca, an eight-foot-tall Wookiee. Let, let's say by then, I don't know, we've evolved past movies. Now we're just so VR that people are removed from it. They think that we had Bigfoot as a president. I'm telling you, it's, it's a feasibility. Let's be realistic here. Now it's in the history books. The Chewbacca defense has been said in a federal courtroom. You can't take it back out of the transcript. During closing arguments, Moyes' defense team brought up the fact that the IRS agents who investigated him were told to revise their initial calculations about his income and expenses, and his attorneys then argued that because the IRS agents' work was so bad, their testimony and their revised calculations couldn't be trusted. In his rebuttal, Assistant U.S. Attorney Arnold Korsmeyer... Dude, I'm not doing good with the names today. Usually I'm pretty on top of it, but oh man, sorry. So the IRS agent's initial calculations had nothing to do with this case, and instead he argued that the defense was throwing out a red herring reminiscent of the Chewbacca defense from South Park. I'm not saying that federal agencies always have the best math and always have the best accounting. Probably not. Like, it's just the reality of the situation. I'm sure they make mistakes. 
But I feel like getting up in a federal courtroom run by the federal government and telling them that the federal agency is so stupid that you can't trust their initial calculations or their new calculations, so everything has to get thrown out, is definitely a ballsy play. You know, if it would have worked, cool, but I just feel like it's pretty obvious that that wasn't going to work out very well. I'm not a lawyer, though. I'm not a legal expert. What did you think the judge was going to do? Oh, yeah, you're right. Forget it. We, we know you probably owe all these back taxes, but because the IRS did a bad job before they did a good job, we're just going to get rid of everything? I don't think that's how it works, dude. If that was the case, I think everyone would be out here committing massive tax fraud and then getting in there and being like, Officer, <laughs> judge, your honor, you can't charge me with this because you guys are bad at math and that puts the blame on you. Ha ha ha, no takesy-backsies, take the L. And I don't want to seem flip, but some of you may have seen it. I think it's a South Park episode, and there's a character who plays kind of a shyster attorney. And there's a scene where he's giving his closing, and he puts up a picture of a Wookiee from Star Wars, and he says, that's a Wookiee. What does that have to do with this case? Nothing. That doesn't make any sense, and this case doesn't make any sense. And then usually what happens is the jury just spontaneously gets up and starts clapping. And they're like, oh my goodness, wow, wowee, you, you sir, are the lawyer that I want at my trial. Thank you for your incredible defense. Thank you for your commitment. Nay, thank you for going above and beyond in your commitment to learning the law to be able to use Star Wars in the courtroom. Moyes appealed and accused the government of prosecutorial misconduct, arguing that the prosecutor's shyster comment deprived him of a fair trial, alleging that it poisoned the mind of the jury and likely confirmed for some their prejudices against defense attorneys. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously disagreed, although the court conceded that the prosecutor made an improper remark. The court saw nothing in the record to suggest that Moyes was prejudiced by the shyster comment. It was a single, isolated remark in an eight-day trial, and we cannot say it permeated the entire trial, nor did the comment have a prejudicial effect on Moise's substantial rights. So that's a whole lot of legalese for like, dude, come on, you can't really blame the fact that he brought up the Chewbacca defense on why you lost your case when your attorneys were trying to use the argument that the IRS is too stupid, so we just can't use any of their calculations and gotta let it go. Definitely probably not a good idea to be referencing South Park if you're an attorney, you know? Like, I I'm just saying, yes, it's kind of funny. However, what if in this situation that's the reason that, like, someone you just prosecuted and got a conviction on gets to walk free? Could you imagine they would have been like, well, he has a point. You called him a shyster. We gotta let him out. And then he's just roaming around because you had to make a reference to South Park while giving your speech. I feel like referencing TV shows is probably just not something to do in a federal courtroom. I don't know, I just thought this story was nuts, so I uh, wanted to share it with y'all. Alright, so this next thing I want to talk about was actually sent in to me by uh, that Canadian guy, Mr. 537 Days Straight of Commenting himself. There's a supermarket chain up in Canada, believe it or not, Canadians have to eat food too, and they own like 1,500 stores. That's a pretty big location. I feel like if somebody said they own five grocery stores, I would be impressed. A corporation owning 1,500 is pretty sizable. The only problem is they ended up getting hacked in like their payroll, ordering food, c customer checkouts, everything got affected and it's been a crap show. I just thought that was insane because, like, who hacks a grocery store? Out of every business you could hack, you're really going to go for the people that sell milk? Inside the terminal at Sobe-owned stores after their ransomware attack. And if it's pronounced Sobe, too bad, I'm not Canadian. 
ransomware has definitely been making its rounds. Like, I, I feel like at this point, if you're high up in an executive level at a company, you should just not open any emails on company servers that are not from, like, the company or someone you absolutely know. The fact that this all probably went down because, like, some 55-year-old clicked on an email they weren't supposed to and then clicked a link and logged in when they weren't supposed to is super embarrassing. All across Canada, there's like all these issues with the grocery store, all these issues being raised about food security, how people are going to eat. All because he just couldn't resist the 30% off coupon for like a new fishing rod or something. Employees of Empire Co., the parent company of Sobeys, have begun to speak out about the turmoil unfolding inside the grocery chain since a ransomware attack began plaguing the computer systems earlier this month. Workers from across the country say some stores have run short of items because orders cannot be placed, while at others, food had gone bad, initially either piled up or was frozen because there was no way to remove it from the inventory system. Pharmacies were unable to fill new prescriptions for a week, and customers can't redeem loyalty points or use gift cards, and staff were concerned that they wouldn't get paid because the payroll system is down. It's been a mess. That's the word, oh, a mess, sorry. That's the word that can describe it best. Just a mess, said one employee who works in the front end at a Safeway in Western Canada. Yeah, that's a little bit of a mess. It's not even like your inventory, like, little gun thing that you use to scan stuff in gets messed up so you can't order stuff anymore. On top of it, they just have piles of rotting food that have to sit there because there's no way for them to remove it. I'm sure that smells lovely. It's a beautiful Canadian winter day. There's 19 feet of snow around you. You just want to go to the grocery store and get some food. You walk in and get blasted with the smell of rotting eggs because Mr. Malware himself decided that nothing's getting taken out of the store. You're telling me there was no other way to do this? They couldn't have, like, written down all the things that got bad and their little codes on it? They had to keep it in the store for some reason? The prescription thing is terrifying, too. Like, imagine if you have medicine you have to take to stay alive. There's a lot of people out there that have to take their meds by a certain time. You go to get it from the place you always get it. Oh, yeah, our bad. We're not going to be able to do that for, like, a week, actually. I'm going to die if I don't take my medicine for a week. And they're like, ah, well, man, that's, that's unfortunate. Shouldn't have clicked the ransomware. I didn't click the ransomware. Yeah, I know. It's just you have to live with the consequences now. I feel like corporate digital security is a space that if you want to make a bunch of money and you're in school, start going into that now. All these companies keep getting hacked. They don't really seem like they have a good way to prevent it. So whoever comes up with like a real good cybersecurity policy and can actually help companies like this is going to be rolling around in a bed of money. So anyone watching this who's like a computer guru, just think about it. I'm just saying I'm too dumb to go do it. But if you're smart enough to go do it, you could make an absolute crap ton of money. What makes more sense, a company to pay you like half a million dollars a year to keep everything safe or getting hacked every year for five million? I'm not a mathematician, but one of these just seems a lot cheaper than the other one. Employees were told not to log in, unplug certain digital scales, and not to use the scanning equipment that allows them to track their inventory. Without the computer systems and handheld scanners called Tel, Tel, Telzon, Telcon, whatever, guns, stores have not been able to place orders, so in some cases, they've ran out of certain items. Oh no, we're out of diapers. After the first day or so of the outage, warehouses began to send products to stores based on what they had available and estimates of what they may need. I feel like digital inventories just make so much more sense for a grocery store. Why order 50 more boxes of chips if you've only sold 10? The fact that, like, they were just sending what they thought the store might need is probably why there's now piles of food that has gone bad. Because, like, yeah, believe it or not, it's important to be able to tell how much you've sold of an item before you order more. 
Especially because imagine you're a customer. You usually do your grocery shopping here, but you go in, you can't get your prescription, you, you can't really use your credit card, you can't get like anything weighed because all their digital scales are down, the, the shelves are empty. Are you going to come back like that Friday for groceries? Or are you probably going to wait till this is all over? So I highly doubt they're like selling the same amount of stuff they're used to selling. Just because if half the store doesn't work, it's not like customers are going to be lining up around the block like, Oh, please, please just take my money. I, I would love it. I love an inferior experience with the smell of rotting food hitting my nostril. Imagine if like you're a very unfortunate person where this is the only grocery store you can get to. And for the past week, it just hasn't been working. Employees in the chain are paid every other week, and some were told last week that they would not get paid Thursday, their scheduled payday. However, workers later told the CBC that the company found a workaround. Since the first week of the two-week pay period occurred before the ransomware attack, employees would receive the same amount of pay for the second week, even if they did not work the same amount of hours, and each employee also received an extra $100 on Thursday to compensate for any hours they may have worked the second week. Once the payroll system is functioning again, any worker who was overpaid will be expected to return overpayments. See, that's just like way too stressful of a situation for like a working at one of these stores, I feel. Oh, we might not be able to pay you this week. Actually, we're going to give you a bunch of money, but keep track of it because if we gave you too much, you have to give it all back. Like, I get it. Obviously, they don't want to give out more money, but it's not exactly the employee's fault that one of your corporate executives decided to click a link they shouldn't have clicked. Oh, if you guys don't become accountants and people that work at our grocery stores and figure out how much we should have paid you so that way you can return over payments, then you guys are in trouble. And before they figured out the workaround, like, did you expect people to keep showing up to work? I'm gonna be honest. If I ever had a job like this again, I worked at a grocery store when I was in high school, and they told me that they weren't gonna be able to pay me for, like, another week, I'd probably just go get another job. I feel like I'm not messing around and not getting paid for a job that's such little fun, you know? Like, working at a grocery store is not something glamorous you do because you have a passion for it. It's because you need money. I just feel like corporations this size getting hacked is insane. Hopefully everything works out. Just felt like you guys should know that what's going on, I guess. Alright, so uh, I think everybody has like a, a different level of grit and toughness to them. Like some people are just really tough people. They can just do things through sheer determination and like screw you, I'm gonna do it because you told me no. And that's what I think this next guy is. That being said, I want to make it clear, don't smoke cigarettes. I don't endorse smoking cigarettes. I think cigarettes are bad for you. But this, I, I couldn't lie, was just so funny. Chinese man, 50, runs marathon in under three and a half hours while smoking cigarettes. You know this all transpired because he was at work one day and they were talking about like marathons, right? And the guy was like, no, I could probably run a marathon in under three and a half hours. And his co-workers were like, dude, you're 50 and you smoke. There's no way you'd be able to run a marathon, let alone one under three and a half hours. And he's like, all right, here, hold my beer. I will be right back in three and a half hours exactly. How do you even run while chain smoking? I feel like once you really get going, you know, you got to start taking those deep breaths. Is that just like super smoking? You're just smoking a cigarette every time you breathe in? This is definitely just something he did out of sheer determination. There's no way this wasn't a pleasant time or was a pleasant time. Sorry. Like, there's no way he was in the middle of the run. Oh, this feels amazing. He's probably like, I need to keep smoking because it's the only thing that's going to be able to keep me going because this sucks so much. 
26 miles, bro. That's not like a little kitty run. Everybody can like run half a mile. Well, maybe not everybody, but you get what I'm saying. Like I could see how somebody could run half a mile smoking a cigarette. 26 miles chain smoking cigarettes? How many packs of cigarettes was that, dude? Did he do that thing from the 50s where they used to have the cigarettes like rolled up in the sleeves of their t-shirt just so they were easily accessible? Running a marathon is quite a grueling athletic feat, specifically on the lungs and respiratory system. Now imagine deliberately making that even more grueling by adding cigarettes. That's what a runner in the recent Zhejiang Marathon in Jindai, China chose to do. On November 6th, a runner that goes by the name Uncle Chen ran in the marathon in 3 hours and 28 minutes while chain-smoking cigarettes according to Canadian Running. After the race, photos of Uncle Chen chain-smoking surfaced on the Chinese social media media app Weibo, and they have since gone viral. When people online began questioning the legitimacy of the accomplishment, marathon organizer shared his finishing certificate from the marathon, and he finished 574th out of a group of nearly 1,500 competitors, all while smoking. Sorry if I butchered any pronunciations, I tried my best, but, you know, like, it's one thing to even finish a marathon chain-smoking cigarettes. It's another thing to beat almost a thousand people at the race while you are running and smoking cigarettes. Imagine being someone that trained for, like, years. You were really bent on getting your best marathon time, you know, you're watching every YouTube guide, you're doing the most intense stretches, you're pretty sure that you, like, hired a sports psychologist just to get you over the hump of running this marathon. And you're 13 miles in, you're exhausted, you don't have much left in the tank, dude. You're like, crap, I'm gonna have to give up. All of a sudden, this guy, on his 15th cigarette of the race, runs by you like it's the most effortless thing ever. In my mind, I'm imagining he just did it in normal clothes too. Like, not running shoes, not shorts. Like, I imagine him in just whatever he wears to work. Like, jeans and some shoes, bro. Like, I'm imagining this guy just really running by you in the most casual way ever and being like, pick it up, slowpoke. And in that moment, your heart is just crushed because all the years you put into training means nothing because homie really just lapped you while smoking a, his fifth pack of Marlboro Reds from the race. It's impressive. I don't condone smoking cigarettes, you know? I, I feel like this generation, because he's older, they kind of smoke cigarettes. We all kind of realize, like, ah, probably not the best idea. I'm not saying you're the worst if you smoke cigarettes. It's just, like, not good for, you know, that's, that's kind of not up for debate. And a lot of my family members smoke and stuff, and they'll argue with me sometimes. They'll be like, well, it's not that bad. I'm like, eh, yeah, it kind of, it kind of is. I'm not saying that I'm going to think less of you. Like, if you smoke cigarettes, who cares, right? At the end of the day, your life, your choice. I'm just saying, don't, don't delude yourself and pretend it's healthy. Not many people out there have the ability to do what this guy did and chain smoke cigarettes while running a marathon. All right, so this next one, we're going to go to the NFL, but not to talk about the sport itself, but a guy that ended up retiring from the NFL because he got a bigger bag somewhere else. And I feel like if you're ever like a professional athlete and you end up quitting because you're getting more money from somewhere else, it's got to be lucrative. And who would have thought that you can find a Pokemon card that makes it so worthwhile you should just retire? NFL linebacker found $672,000 Pokemon card and abruptly retired. So, you know, NFL players get paid good money, but it's definitely like a bell curve. You have a bunch of people that get paid solid if they're a starter, but the people on either end are either making bazooku bucks or like, yeah, a considerable amount of money, but not as much as they theoretically could if they had another business elsewhere. 
And so if you're like a second, third string linebacker, you're getting a consistent half a million dollars a year, which is a ton of money. And then all of a sudden you sell a Pokemon card for more than you're going to make in a year and you've wanted to retire anyways. It might make sense. I'd love to know how he got the Pokemon card. Was this one that he bought and then like sat on for a while? Or did he really just get stupid lucky opening a pack and happen to come across like a $670,000 card? Who has that much money to just be tossing around on a Pokemon card? I feel like even if I had, you know, $50 million, you would not catch me dead out there paying six hundred grand for a Pokemon card. I'm not going to fault the NFL player that sold it, because if someone offered me six hundred grand for a Pokemon card, I'm taking it. But who out there just has enough disposable income where, like, uh, almost a million dollars on a Pokemon card makes sense? Blake Martinez retired from the NFL because he had to catch them all. The former Las Vegas Raiders linebacker called it quits last week at just 28, telling the team he's hanging up his pads just days after recording 11 tackles and a loss to Jacksonville. Martinez revealed the news on Instagram, saying he chose to step away from the career at this time to focus on his family and future passions. Well, turns out that passion is very similar to something we all used to dabble in, trading Pokemon cards. Oh, okay, so bro was really up in the mix, you know, 11 tackles is an impressive amount of tackles in a solitary game, so it's not like this guy was just some fifth stringer. He must just really like trading Pokemon cards, and I guess if you're able to make, you know, 600 grand in a single transaction, you do two transactions a year and you're pretty chillin'. I could see, too, football's really hard on your body. You know, like, at 24, 22, when they first come into the league, it makes sense for them to really want to do it. You start having a family and, you know, your body just can't keep up the way it used to. You're making money somewhere else. I can see how that would get appetizing. I, I know a lot of people are going to think this dude is absolutely bonkers. But think about how many NFL players have, like, lifelong medical issues after they stop playing. Unless you're going to be, like, a, a Tom Brady or, like, one of the goats. I don't know. At a certain point, you got to think about... Being able to be there for your grandkids and not them having, like, uh, the experience of, oh, yep, grandpa's got the CTE real bad. Martinez recently sold a Pokemon Illustrator card with a gem 9.5 rating for $672,000. Don't ask me what that all means, because I don't know. Good, I was about to. What I do know is that the money is more than double of what he could have made if he stayed with Las Vegas the rest of the season, so the former Stanford-educated linebacker made the smart decision and chose full-time Pokemon trading rather than taking on 400-pound linemen every Sunday. Not a bad choice. I mean, I don't know if he outwardly said, I'm 100% going to be trading Pokemon cards as my full-time job now. I'm thinking that might have just been a convenient lump sum of cash that he's taken out before he retires. If he's Stanford-educated and already thinking ahead, chances are he's been taking those YouTube checks and doing smart things with it. One of the craziest stats ever, if you want to hear just a mind-blowing statistic, is like how many pro athletes end up going broke really quickly after they get out of their league because they're so used to making money at a certain level and spending at a higher level. So the fact that there's actually an NFL player that's going to retire early and is like selling off his investments to raise cash funds for his retirement to do something else. Usually I'm used to them like declaring bankruptcy a few years after they get out of the league. So this is just a different change. I feel like with just how much access everyone now has to information about investing and stuff, though, the days of everyone being broke after they get out of, like, the Major League Baseball or NFL, 
those days hopefully are behind us, bro. Because I, I don't know how you make like $16 million and end up having none left after six years. Impressive levels of spending these guys can do sometimes, I'll be honest. Anyways, guys, I think that's going to do it for this episode. I just thought this was all some fun stuff I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be doing them longer if they start to get more views. I'm just going to keep it a buck fifty. I like doing it. I will keep doing it weekly, but I'm not going to bust out a two-hour episode if they, like, you know, don't give views. That's nothing personal. I don't care. I'm not complaining. I'm chilling. I'm going to do it either way. I have fun doing it. That's just where I'm coming from and why they're not, like, an hour anymore. But either way, if you did enjoy this, please be sure to press the like button. Let me know what you thought in the comments section down below. I do appreciate everyone that watches it. This is like my favorite series to do every week. You guys are lit. And uh, yeah, on that note, don't get anyone pregnant. If you do, make sure they're hot. And hopefully I'll see each and every one of you guys next time. I'm out. Peace.